Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Hello, neighbor. My name's Kyle. We're really glad to have you guys this morning. We're kicking off this brand new series called Those People. Uh, we were inspired the series. Uh, a guy named Craig Rochelle did it, and we thought, man, there's a lot of those people that live in Saline County. You've got those people in your family. You've got those people at your work. You've got those people in your neighborhood, and you've got those people in your church. So here's the question. Who are those people? Well, today we're going to talk about overly needy people. Next week, we're going to talk about manipulative people. So if you're really a follower of Jesus, you'll be back next week. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Then we're going to talk about hypocritical, but there aren't going to be any hypocritical people here on the week number three because this is a perfect church. So here's the question. What, what do we do with those people? Do we ignore them? Do we judge them? Do we scold them? What does the Bible say about how we're supposed to love and serve one another? Well, on week number four, we're going to talk about critical people. And there's a few of you this morning and the time you've been here, you've noticed a few things didn't really go the way you thought they ought to go. So we'll be talking to you in week number four. But today we're kicking off this series called Those People, and we're going to talk about overly needy people. But it's really important before we lean into all this, to recognize that all of us at one time or another have been those people. So i got really good news for you. Listen to me. God loves those people. Did you hear me? God loves those people. The other bit of good news that's huge that you got to get, you got to grasp, you gotta, you got you to latch on to this morning. Jesus died for those people. This is this huge truth that we're talking about this morning as we are thinking about those people. Well, again, today we're going to talk about overly needy people. A lot of times when we think about those people and we think about overly needy people, we think about those who are financially needy, and sometimes that's very much what we deal with. But I want to expand it this morning as we're thinking about those people and talk about emotionally needy people. You know what I'm talking about, the drama queens, the drama kings, you know, drama, drama, drama. Maybe just maybe your first name happens to be Antonio and your last name happens to be Brown and you just want to be the center of attention all the time and you're always needing something. Or maybe it's one of those people that texts you like 14 times in a row and you're in a meeting and you can't respond and the 15th text comes in to say, hey, are you mad at me or what, right? You got one of those kind of people in your life? Just don't be throwing any elbows, by the way. How about these guys? Man, the world's just falling apart. Or that friend who's always, always having relationship problems. Maybe you got a friend that's gone through more jobs and you have socks. Maybe they're addicted. And it's just very likely you've got some of those people in your life that you love, and you want to help them, and you really just don't know how because in all of your helping them, you're realizing they are sucking the life out of you, and they're wearing you out. 
So again, you want to help them, but you want to do it in a healthy way. And it's so important that we figure out what the healthy way is for us to help those people. If we don't help them in a healthy way, it potentially is going to hurt us. It can potentially hurt our family, and it very likely will even hurt the very people that we are trying to help. Some of you are compassionate, and you're kind, and you're giving, and you're helpful, and you do this for somebody, and they just continually come back and they ask for more. They don't ever say thank you. They don't ever show any gratefulness. They just make more poor decisions that lead them to come back to you and say, I need more help. And you finally reach that point where you're like, that's enough. It's got to stop. They blow up like they do because they're drama. They get mad at you. You part your ways, and where are you left? You're left feeling guilty. You're left feeling guilty. So is there a better way, and what is the right way to go about helping those who are potentially overly needy? Well, I'll give you a couple of words this morning to think about and process as we think about helping people. I want to define how we're using these words this morning because I think it's important to, to think through this. The first word is relief, and you're going to see it in your notes, and it's going to come up on the screen there for you. And, and the idea of relief is just giving immediate and temporary assistance, okay? Immediate and temporary assistance. In other words, somebody says, hey, can you spot me a couple of bucks? And you're like, yeah, sure, here you go. And you move on. Uh, we're talking about something that costs you a little bit of money, a little bit of time, a little bit of energy. Maybe it doesn't cost you any emotion at all, and you give that person some relief. And here's the deal. A lot of needy people need relief. But most of the time, that's not all that they need. They need something greater, they need something bigger, and they need something more powerful, something that's ultimately going to cost you, the person that's helping them, even more. And I know that's kind of a daunting idea, but I want to give you this word, this word restoration, and give you kind of a working definition of it this morning. The idea of restoration when it comes to helping those who are in need is the idea of an ongoing thing. Oh, man ongoing, like I can't just say, here you go, and then move on. But it's this idea of going deeper into restoration and saying, I'm here for the long haul. Going on there, it says not doing something for them. This is so important. Not doing something for them, but working with them to help them to restore their God-given potential. Now, we'd all agree relief is the easy way. Restoration is the hard way. And I don't know who you're dealing with in your life. I don't know who God has put in front of you right now. And maybe it's relief. And every now and then you just need to do something small for them to keep them going. But maybe, just maybe, God's put somebody in front of you that you need to give restoration. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Instead of giving them a few bucks, you help them get to a place where they can find a job. Instead of telling them that everything is all right, you actually take the time to teach them about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Instead of paying the rent, you teach them how to get on a budget, right? Like you got people in your life, they're one of those people, they got financial issues, they got a job, and the reason why they're all messed up is because they spend more than they make, and what they need is a budget. Potentially God may be putting you in their path to help them to do that. Well, this takes time, it takes energy, sometimes it takes money, definitely takes prayer, and it definitely takes faith, trusting that God can use us to help them in their journey of life. It's absolutely hard. hard. Well, we've got a couple of ministries around here, people in our church that serve and go out and do different things, and they've chosen the restoration route, which is the really hard route. 
but they'll tell you it was worth it, even though it was hard. Um, our homeless ministry that people here in our church are a part of, man, they are serving people, and it takes time, and it takes energy, and it takes emotion. But when they get to tell those stories about the guy who was literally living in a tent, and they were able to help come alongside and get him to a place where he could get a job, where through that job his family got provided for the food and shelter that they need, they would tell you, yes, it's worth it. Another ministry around here that we do that takes the restoration route is Celebrate Recovery, helping people that are really messed up in life, in particular a lot of times with drugs and alcohol. And when that young lady finally gets clean, through the power of the gospel, and is no longer driven and dominated by a substance, they will tell you, yes, it's worth it. But it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of investment to go this route. Well, as we think about this idea of relief, and we think about this idea of restoration, I want us to look to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to see a story in Scripture that just speaks into this so vividly and so powerfully, and I think there's a lot for us to get in this story in Acts chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you can find one in the seat underneath in front of you. And if you're in that black Bible, you can find Acts chapter 3 on page 907. Let me give you a little background, a little context as to where we are in Acts chapter 3. Um, we have already finished the part of the story where we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the story of Jesus. Jesus leaving heaven, coming here to earth, living amongst overly needy people like us, think about this, and doing it perfectly. Jesus lived with those people, and yet somehow, through his divine ability, he was able to do it perfectly. And in his perfection, he's willing to pay the ultimate price for my sin and for your sin by laying down his life on the cross, being crucified there, his blood being shed for all of our sin, and then, three days later, coming back from the dead. And let me repeat that part. Three days later, he came back from the dead. As a result of this payment, and as a result of this incredible act of coming back from the dead, lots of people were believing in Jesus. They had watched how he had served people, how he had loved people, how he had been there for people. And most of all, they knew that he died for their sins, and they knew that he came back from the dead. And they're like, I want to be like him. So they believed in him, and they started acting like him, and they started doing things like Jesus did. They, they got baptized, like you saw some people get baptized this morning, because that's what Jesus did. And they started doing the things that Jesus did, loving and serving people. These were followers of Jesus. Well, in Acts chapter 3, we have a couple of followers of Jesus, and their names are Peter and John. And they are doing what we have just described. In Acts chapter 3, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. I don't know about you and what image you have in your mind right now, but I don't know, for me, I, I'm seeing myself pull up to the street corner and there he sits with his cardboard sign with whatever portion of his story that he's got on there to, to cause me to feel compelled to give to him. We've got this guy who's in really bad spot. He is, and he's begging. And so we see him there on the corner. Verse number three. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some, everybody say it. Of course. 
Because he, like you, think all the answers to all of life's problems with money, right? Like, if I just had more money, everything would be better. My kids would be better. My wife would be better. Everything would be better if I had more money. Like, money's always the answer. Everybody who's in need just thinks that money will fix everything so many times. So there he is asking them for some money. Verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. I don't want to zip past this verse because I think it's huge what's happening in this one verse of Scripture. We have a great example being set for us by these two followers of Jesus. Them taking the time to look at, notice, and behold this man who's in need to the point that they not only want to see him, they want him to see them. They decide to make a connection with this guy and make eye contact with him. Uh, there's a book called Under the Overpass, and uh, this guy actually uh, decided to live homeless for a couple of years. He like put away all of his worldly goods and just went out on his own just to see what it was like to live as a homeless person. And one of the biggest things he found in his two years was how massive it was to have another human being look you in the eye if you were seemingly lesser than they were because you were a homeless person. He said, when someone would look me in the eye, it meant everything to me. Here's the deal, guys. Needy people are human beings. That person on the corner, it's a human being that is loved by God that Jesus died for. Your in-law, human being. I know, it's a shocker. God loves them, died for them, and when we are willing to do what Peter and John did in this moment and make some eye contact and willing to allow ourselves to have some personal connection and to view them through the eyes of God and to see value and to see purpose on their life, things begin to happen in our heart and things begin to happen in their lives. But you know how it is. You're in Walmart and you see that person, right? You see them. And you're like, kids, whatever you do, don't make eye contact. Oh, I forgot. We've got to go over here and get some milk, right? Because you know you saw them, but you don't know that they saw you. And more importantly, you don't think that they saw you see them. Are you with me? And since we didn't connect here, we're out. So we don't make eye contact. And I'm just here to tell you, God is putting some needy people in your life. And one of the things they need, first and foremost, is for you to look at them like another human being that God loves and that Jesus died for. We are followers of Jesus. We say as followers of Jesus that we are worth everything to God. Well, if I'm worth everything to God, that guy over there, he's worth everything to God too. And so we look at them and we see this go on in verse number 5. Why do we want, not want to make eye contact? Because verse number five. The lame man looked at him and said, excuse me, the, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some, everybody say it. I knew it. We make eye contact, eye contact, and here we go. They, they, they want what they always want. They ask me for what they always ask me. Every time that I spend the time with them, here we go down the same lane every single time. Has it ever occurred to you that overly needy people really do have needs? He does really have a need. He thinks and says that it's money. They make eye contact. They've got to listen to this, but notice how they respond to him in the next verse, verse number six. But Peter said, 
I don't have any silver or gold for you. All right, sweet, I don't have any money, I'm out, right? Like I get to slip on by. Uh, I don't know about you, I don't carry a lot of cash. I don't carry a lot of cash. And so, you know, somebody, hey, can you spot me a buck? Or, hey, can you give me a dollar? Or, hey, man, can you, can you spare some change? I don't know about you, but my response is, I don't have any money. Right? And I'm not lying to them. And I guess I'm, like, morally off the hook, right? Because I don't have any money on me. But this guy doesn't stop there. Peter goes on to say, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. Wait a minute. He asked for money, and you're not going to give him money. Like, how's this going to work out? He said, I'll give you what I have. I mean, what's he, what does he have? Does he have, like, a dirty hanky? Like, where, where's he going with this deal, right? In the name of Jesus Christ, here's what he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Do You see, this guy was on the corner every single day. Ultimately, he wasn't on the corner because he needed money. He had a deeper issue and a deeper problem, and ultimately his need was from healing and restoration of his legs and of his feet. Peter had this incredible ability to speak these words and to bring forth a miracle in the name of Jesus, of which he had, and he said, I'll give you what I have. What if the guy would have said to him, you know what, all I really wanted was money. You ever have one of those moments? You got a person that's in need, you recognize their real need, you go to meet their real need, and they're like, ah, forget you, man, that's not what I wanted. It's just appalling, isn't it? It absolutely is. So here's what we got to learn. Someone who is in need also has to have the humility to receive what they really need, not necessarily what they want. And on this day, this guy was wise, and he listened. He said, you know what, this guy doesn't have any money, but he says, he's going to give me healing, and that's what I desperately need. Verse number seven. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand. Oh, we went to another level. We've started eye contact, a conversation, and now we've got physical touch. We're getting an investment here that is serious. Uh, Peter and John were about to enter into the temple, and in that day, entering that place, which was like a holy place, it's different than coming to church today. It's just, it's just different. You had to have all of these cleaning and ceremonial uh, rituals that you go through to be uh, ceremonially clean. And touching this guy, like he was blowing all that, like the prayer meeting was out the window. It wasn't going to happen. And instead, he reached down and he says, he took him by the right hand. He helped him up. And by the way, a lot of times, people don't need a hand out. They need a hand up. You've got some people, and I'm not talking not about the guy that's on the street corner. I'm talking about people that are in your life. And what they desperately need right now is someone to come along and look them in the eye, have a conversation with them, assess what they really need, give them what they really need. Give them what they really need and share the love of Jesus. Verse number 7, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. I want to give you this big idea this morning, and we're going to wrestle with it a little bit more, because if we're not careful, it's going to sound trite and churchy and whatever. But listen to me. Needy people need Jesus. Okay? Write that down. Put it in your notes. Needy people need Jesus. Guess what you have? Guess what I have as a follower of Jesus? I have what? Jesus. I have what they really, really need. And we're going to talk about this more and unpack this beautiful idea of needy people need Jesus. Well, verse number 8, after he reaches down, touches him, it says, He, the lame man, he jumped up, stood on his feet, 
and began to walk. <laughs> Can you imagine this moment? Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking around and heard him praising God. Listen to me. People notice kindness. People notice restoration. They can tell when someone has been loving another person. It's coming out of this guy. It's praising. Look at verse number 10. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. You've got some people in your life that everybody else has just said, you know what, they can't even be helped. They're utterly helpless. They are stuck. That's where they're going to be forever. And we could be talking about relationship stuff. We could be talking about financial stuff. We could talk about emotional stuff. We could talk about addiction stuff. That's just where they are. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus can bring anyone up and out of any circumstance of which they are in. And when he does... Everybody else is going to be amazed. That's my job. That's your job as a believer is to point people to Jesus so that they can experience Jesus so that other people can see Jesus. That was a good spot to be like, uh-huh. Y'all can go ahead right now, delayed. It's okay. Like, that's, that's what we're all about right there. Okay? That's what we're all about. Check out verse number 11. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. I want you to notice this last phrase, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. This wasn't a quick fix, bada bing, bada boom, speak some magic words, and then move on moment for Peter and John. They were in this thing for the long-term investment. Just imagine, this guy hasn't walked maybe for his entire life. He definitely hasn't walked in years. He has the ability to walk now, but he has to learn how to do it again. If any of you have ever lost the ability to walk, you had to go through some rehab, right, to learn how to, even if the strength came back to your legs, and they're like hanging on to this guy, like we're going to help you in this. We're going to be here for you on this. Again, this idea of restoration that is ongoing. Instead of, here you go, buddy. Instead of, here you go, buddy, it's, Come with me, man. Like, let's walk together, and let's do this thing called life together. Again, not a hand out as much as a hand up. So maybe for you, you're like, I, I have one of those people in my life, and I don't know what their particular need is, but they're just that person that just, man, all the time, something. And you just feel like they're just, they're just you know, you know far-off place, and you can't help them. And you're asking yourself, how do I react? How do I respond what do I do with this particular person, with this particular need, in this particular situation? Well, the word particular is very important here. Okay? I'm not trying to figure out what everybody's problem is and how I can solve everybody's problem. God has put me in certain places at certain times with certain people. God is putting you in certain places at certain times with certain people. And he's giving you a particular person with a particular circumstance of which God is giving you what you need to serve them, help them, love them, so that they can experience the restoration that we speak of. And, and we've got to figure it out. And we say, well, what do I need to do? Well, the answer truly comes from Jesus and what he's got for us. Again, needy people need Jesus. And you have Jesus, and he's going to give you what you need because Jesus is the one who restores. If you're not careful, you're going to begin to think, well, I'm better than they are, and I have all the answers. Well, if they would just listen to me, life would go better. Guess what you're becoming? You're becoming a false god for them. You're becoming a false savior for them. 
God did not call you to rescue people. He called you to point, him, point them to him so he can restore their soul. So as you love them, as you serve them, and as God gives you the opportunity to point them to Jesus, they can find that Jesus is truly the restorer of their soul just the way he is the restorer of yours. Well, what about like if they've got like a particular need? Like, I like the Jesus answer because we're in church, but like, how does this thing like flesh out? How does it work? Do you understand that in the word of God, like Jesus who cares for us and Jesus who says that he's going to walk with us throughout the rest of our life speaks to like everything you can come up with in life in the scripture? For instance, maybe this person has an attitude issue. Guess what God talks about a lot in the word of God? Your attitude. And how he can change it and shape it to become what it ought to be. Maybe it's a laziness issue. He talks about that a ton in Scripture. How to handle your money talks about that so much in Scripture. Whether it's gratefulness or contentment, work ethic or your value and worth. He talks about it and Jesus speaks into every area of our lives. People need Jesus. Ultimately, needy people need Jesus. They need to know that they're loved by Jesus. They need to know that they are accepted by Jesus. They need to know that they're wanted by Jesus. And they need to know how they can be guided by Jesus. Think about all the overly needy people that you know in your life. They are longing for something that is deep, that goes down to their soul. And when it comes to acceptance and rightness and withness of God... God is the only one that can bring that, to be in that place of being right with him and knowing it, knowing that Jesus is there every day and that someone is for them every day. Needy people need to know how much Jesus values them. They need to know that Jesus values them so much that he was willing to die for them. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have Jesus so what do I do in this particular situation with this particular person? Not looking out at the masses and thinking, how do I help everybody? But like God's put me here. He put that person in front of me. They drive me crazy, but there they are. And I just can't get around them because it seems like God just keeps bringing me back to them or them back to me. So what do I need to do? Let me give you three prayers to work through and to use in your life and how to figure these things out. And I think they're huge for you as you pray to help, help others. All right? First one, God help me give people what they, excuse me, God help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. I about misread that and it was going to be really bad. <laughs> God help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. Think about it. A person that's in need, they are going to tell you what they think that they need. Here's what we know, most people, not everybody, but most people who are in need, like real deep need, most of them are there because they didn't make wise choices. They just didn't make wise choices. Think about the moments when you've been in the most desperate need of your life. A lot of times what got you there was really bad choices. And so do you think they're going to make a good choice when they have the opportunity to tell you what they need? They're probably going to tell you what they want, not necessarily what they need. And so we've got to speak truth to them, and we've got to love them. The Word of God talks about speaking the truth in love. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are over here, and you love people, and you're compassionate, and you are generous. You don't even have to think twice, like, yeah, give, serve, be there, grace, 
hugs, smiles, just this just ooh, ooey gooey, you know, like, ooh, we love everybody, right? Some of that's where you are. God made you that way, and it's a beautiful thing. Some of us are over here. Now, let's go ahead and tell you in case you had not figured this one out yet. I'm over here. I'm like the truth teller. I'm like, dude, you're a moron, right? Like, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? You know, that, that's me. But here's what people need. They need both. If all we ever do is everything's all right, it's just going to work out, let me give you a hug, everything's okay, here, 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 we're potentially going to enable that person into a deeper place of need. If all we ever do is just come over here and call people morons, we're just going to beat them further down in the ground. So we need both. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. So if you're over here and you're this kind, compassionate person, praise God for you, you need the Spirit of God to give you something that you maybe don't naturally have, and that's the Spirit of truth-telling. God needs to give you that. If you're over here like me and you like to call people morons, you need God to give you the Spirit of compassion, right? We need both. And potentially, together as the body of Christ, we can do both together. Your compassion can come in, someone else's truth-telling can come in, and we can do this together because we need both. So what do we need to do here? Is it truth or is it love? It's always truth and love. It's always truth and love. They need both from you. They need the hard truth and they need deep love. And it can only come through the power of Jesus. I want to look at a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. They're going to come on the screen for you. Um, maybe if you're like trying to struggle with willingness, like can I or will I or should I serve? Look at what it says. God has given each of you, listen to this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. The Word of God just said, you've got something that you are able to do because God gave you that ability. And here's what it goes on to say. Use them well to serve one another. So if you're like, well, I don't know if I've got the gifts. The Word of God just said you do. Well, I don't know what to do with it. He says, use them to serve others. Look now in James chapter 1. Maybe you're like, I got this person. They are in need. They're telling me what they need, but I don't think it's what they need. What do they really need? Well, James 1 speaks into this because what we need is wisdom. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Listen, if you are married, you need wisdom. If you are a mom or a dad, you need wisdom. If you are a boss at work, you need wisdom. If you have a boss at work, you need wisdom. Are, are we catching on? Like, we need it. He's like, you need it, so come ask me for it. I'm ready to give it. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God, I got this person. They're in need. I need to serve them. They're telling me what they need, but I don't know what to do. God, tell me what to do. He's going to take you and your unique gifting, and he's going to show you what you can do for them, what no one else can do for them, and serve them, and ultimately in pointing to Jesus. Um, listen, sometimes we wrongly think that we're like the magic ingredient to fixing people. Again, I said this earlier, like you're not the Savior, Jesus is. And you're going to point them to yourself rather than to Jesus, and ultimately you're going to mess them up worse than they already were. You need to take your unique gifting, serve them, love them, point them to Jesus, who is the restorer. Look at number two, this number two prayer. God, help me stay out of your way, but not continually rescuing people from their consequences. Now, there's some people in this room that are like, amen, right? Like, you get that. And there are other people in this room like, ooh, man, that one's tough. 
Like I just I don't I don't like to see people hurt. I don't like to see people go through consequences. I don't I don't like for people to experience any kind of pain. Well, let me read a verse of scripture, Galatians chapter six, verse number seven. It says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Let me give you my translation of that. Stupid decisions always result in stupid consequences. And guess what? Sometimes consequences are good. Sometimes consequences are good. Some people desperately need to learn the hard way. That little one, when they touch that stove, right, they learn a, they learn a valuable lesson that they will take with them the rest of their life. God gave us that, that ability to feel that pain because it's going to keep us from destroying our lives with the stove, right? There are some things that some people are getting into right now. They need to feel the consequences of it. Parents, 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 listen to me. I don't have parenting figured out. I'm not even trying to act like I got it figured out, but I'm here to tell you, sometimes the best thing you can do for your kid is let them experience the consequence of the action of which they did. Quit running down to the principal's office to defend your kid every time they act like a moron. That's the truth-telling part right there. You caught that, right? All the teachers in the room are like, amen. That kid is, you know, they, they know, and you know, but you think you're doing them a favor by protecting them? Listen, you are enabling them in a way you never want to go. I'm thankful for mom and dad that just, they, they were willing to let me take the consequences that I had come in my way. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Consequences can be good. Some of you are getting in God's way because you're trying to protect some people and you're not helping them at all. You're actually hurting them. You're potentially hurting yourself. You're potentially hurting your family. Back to parenting really quick. Sometimes what your kids just need, what they need is discipline. It's what they need. Sometimes it's what we as adults need. We need discipline. We need to experience the consequences and understand don't do that again. And sometimes the only way that we can learn is the hard way. It's the hard way. And just a little side note, I don't enjoy corrective discipline towards my kids. I really don't. I don't like those moments. It's, it's not, it's not woo-hoo, I get to correct my kids today. No, I, I don't enjoy it one bit. But I have to do it. And God's saying to us in this moment, I have to do it. Some of you are getting in God's way. He's trying to correct them, and you need to stay out of the way. These are people that you love dearly, and I get it. Sometimes you just got to stay out of the way. Number three. God, help me remember that I'm in need too and that you are always the answer. This is so important for us to remember. He's the restorer. We are not. Look at Psalm 70 and verse number 5. Look at the posture of the one writing. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my advisor, excuse me, and my savior. O Lord, do not delay. In other words, this posture of humility, this posture of receiving from God what we need, that even for winning at life, oh God, I need you. Even if we're really successful this year at business, God, I desperately need you. Even if our marriage is killing it, man, God, I need it. Even if our kids are the best kids in the world right now, God, I need you right now. Even if like finances are just really working well for you right now and everything's just coming and going as it should, and maybe more than ever, God, I, I, I need you right now. Because if you're not careful, you'll take on this attitude of look at these decisions that I made that led to these blessings and look at where I am now and I've got it figured out and I'm everybody's answer man. You're in need, come to me. I will rescue you. 
It's not a healthy place to be. In fact, it's a very unholy place to be. God, help me remember that I'm in need too and that you are always the answer. See, when we realize this, again, we remember and understand deeply that we aren't the Savior that Jesus is. You're not God. You are not Jesus. You need Jesus. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. Some of you have been believers a long time. And guess what you desperately need today? Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you need his help today. Go to him. Jesus is ready to help you. Maybe you need his salvation today. Go to him. He is ready to save you. When I say need salvation, I'm talking about coming to this place of understanding that you are a sinner and that you are far from God as a result of it and that Jesus came to this earth to die for you and for your sin and he came back from the dead and that the only way to God is through him and place your faith in him today. Be forgiven, be cleansed, be made right with God and experience his salvation today. In fact, scripture says today is the day of salvation. This could be the moment for you. Maybe you need forgiveness today. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've just done something really stupid, really foolish, really sinful, and you need to say, you know what? Wrong, not doing it anymore. Jesus, forgive me. Guess what he wants to do? He wants to forgive you. Maybe you need wisdom today. Maybe it's in marriage. Maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in neighborhood. I don't know, but like, ask God. He is ready to give you wisdom. One of the coolest passages of Scripture that's quoted quite a lot, especially at funerals, Psalm 23. Part of that one says, He restores my soul. And I think that every single human being living, regardless of their financial circumstance, their relationship circumstance, their work circumstance, their social circumstance, I think that at the core of our being, this is what we long for. We long at the depths of our being to experience restoration. That even though the rest of the world around us may be falling apart, to experience an internal deep soul restoration that only Jesus can bring. And he can bring it to your soul today. He can give you a peace that passes all understanding. He can give you a calmness in the midst of the storm in which you are in today. Question for you. Where do you need God's restoration today in your life? Where is it? Where do you need God to touch your soul right now? I want to encourage you to ask him because he wants to meet you at the point of your need. He wants to love you. He wants to serve you. He wants to heal your soul. He wants to make things right with him. So maybe your next step today is this. Maybe just to love and serve someone like Jesus loves and serves me. Maybe you realize, you know what, I'm a human being, I don't understand it, but God loves me, and that means that he loves them too, and so I'm going to love them and serve them the way Jesus loved and served me because I want them to experience Jesus too. Maybe for you, it's to allow Jesus to restore you. Maybe you've been pushing back on it. Maybe you've been saying, uh, I don't know, I think I'll try to figure this thing out for myself. How's that working out for you? For some of you right now, you're like, it's not working out well at all. Try Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the creator and sustainer of everything we see and know. I'm thinking he's got something figured out. Trust him. Follow him. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave us Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for dying for those people because we are those people. <laughs> thank you for giving your blood, your sacrifice, your life on the cross for our sin, for our sorrow, for our shame. Thank you for being willing to restore our souls. And I pray for those in this room that may need restoration in their soul today. They receive it and experience it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.